Okay, well, the Apostle Paul was never short on words of doctrine or of principles for the Christian living. And he was never short on words of encouragement, and we get to benefit from his writings. He was a letter writer, and being intentional about discipling those that he had brought to Christ throughout the years. And he felt invested in them, as I'm sure some of us probably have those people that we invest in on a regular basis as well. Because of his poor eyesight, he rarely wrote his own letters. He always had Timothy or Sylvanus uh, write for him because he couldn't see very well. And so some letters, though, were so important to him that he wrote them with his own personal hand. And this letter we're going to look at today happens to be one of those letters. It was written um, about a topic that was close to his heart. And we're going to look today at the letter of Philemon. So turn with me. It's only one page of the New Testament, squeezed in between Titus and Hebrews. And even if you have to hunt for it, it's worth it because there's um, some real treats in what the Apostle Paul wrote personally, to Philemon. And since God ordained that this letter be preserved for us, being worthy of placement in the canon of Scripture, it's therefore worthy for us to search out some of what we need to learn and think about from it. I've subtitled today's lesson with what we can learn from the tale of two men and the two men who brought them back together. So follow along in your own versions as I read Philemon. I'm going to read the whole book of Philemon. <laughs> Between Titus and Hebrews. So if you've gone to Hebrews, you've gone too far. If you've gone to Titus or Timothy, you've gone too far the other direction. It's right between you have Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. <laughs> okay, Timothy, keep going back. So you have first and second Timothy, then you have Titus, and then you have Philemon. Okay, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I thought about having Simeon read this. <laughs> I thought about having Simeon read this for us. He has such a nice reading voice. And it's a man writing it, but I'm going to fill in for Paul here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, and that is sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be, in effect, by compulsion, but of your own free will. Or perhaps he was for this very reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention, though he does, that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this rare personal letter from the Apostle Paul was written somewhere in the early 60s AD. We know it was near the end of his life, which was in the spring of 68 AD. Um, so we know it was just before that because he calls himself the old man, the aged. And we know he was in prison at this time, which he was for most of the latter years of his life. It could have been in Caesarea, though that probably was not the place. It could have been Rome, could have been the place, but that was about a thousand miles away from uh, where this letter was going. Could have been in Ephesus as well, which was a little closer. So they debate which prison he was in, tends to lend itself based on other verses more than it was actually Rome, but we're not going to debate that today. The major players in this letter are brought to us in verses 1 and 2, and then again down in verse 10. And uh, we have Paul, of course. The first thing we notice in verse 1 is that he does not address himself as an apostle. He doesn't take that position of authority that he could have. He doesn't address it as the Apostle Paul. He addresses himself rather as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
perhaps putting himself on the same level as who he's going to be writing about. We're not sure why he chose to use those terms, but apparently between Philemon and him, it would have meant something to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The second major player we have is Philemon. Um, I think the pronunciation of that is Philemon, <laughs> uh, but we'll just call him Philemon. Lived in Colossae at the time of the writing, but from what we can gather from different writings, Paul never made it to Colossae. So he probably met him in either Laodicea or in some other town. Laodicea is only about a 10-mile distance between um, Colossae and, and Laodicea. But he addresses him as a beloved brother and fellow worker, obviously a believer in Christ. And as we have, as we have seen in other scriptures as well as this own chapter, it was because of Paul that Philemon came to Christ. It was through Paul sharing the gospel that Philemon became a believer. He was a generous man and a, probably a wealthy man, and he hosted church in his home, and he was a friend of Paul. Again, where they met is still a mystery, but we see that this letter, how his life was changed after meeting Paul. The next uh, person in our major player list is Aphia, and her name is uh, Phrygian, and she is also called a sister, which Paul is speaking of her spiritual relationship that he has as a believer, not a sister to Philemon and a sister to him physically or through family, but through Christ. And though we have no distinct record of it, she may well have been Philemon's wife. She was certainly known as one in his household. Archippus is our next person, and he's called a fellow soldier for the Lord. He was someone in the trenches sharing the gospel and discipling others just as Paul was. In Colossians 4.17, he is exhorted to take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So obviously he was in a leadership role in the church, whether that was as a deacon or a pastor teacher, he was in leadership of this church. And then we have Onesimus, which we won't meet until verse 10, but he was Philemon's slave who had apparently robbed him and ran off. And he ended up running into Paul while he was imprisoned. As it turned out, he was converted. He repented of his lifestyle and his sin, and he became a beloved and dear friend of Paul, one that was useful to him. And his name indeed means useful. So when someone who was not useful became useful, and his name means useful. Paul uh, most certainly thought the name fit, as we see in this letter, as the letter continues to go on and talk about how much use he was to Paul. The letter is specifically written to two men, Philemon, about Onesimus, and written to Philemon about his runaway slave, whom Paul was sending back to face the consequences of running away. 
but he sends him back by um, setting up the stage for with this letter that he is uh, is accompanying on Onesimus when he goes back. And it also helps us to be able to apply how to deal with others in certain situations. So it's good to note also that this letter was to all of those in his household and all of those in the church. It wasn't just to Fleeman. He wanted everybody to know how to deal with this sinner who has come home. And that's so important for us as believers to be able to deal with people when they come into the church that maybe we've known outside the church, but we need to uh, learn how to deal with them. I don't know if you've heard the term priming the pump. Um, that when you have a water pump that's outside your home, you have to prime it in order to get the water to come up or uh, but, um, buttering them up. When you're buttering someone up, you're trying to be really nice to them so that they will do what you want them to do. And I don't know if that's what Paul was doing when he was writing this letter to uh, Philemon. I think there's a little more involved to it, but it seems he, when I, the first time I read the letter, I thought, wow, he is really buttering this guy up, making him be very important and very special. And then he wants him to forgive this runaway slave. But the more I got to studying, the more I realized that Paul was so sincere in everything that he said about not only um, Philemon, but also Onesimus. So he's appealing to Philemon for someone who has become dear to him. And he begins his letter by letting them know of his prayers for them and how thankful he is for them. And he was definitely sincere in that. Um, we can learn from that that we need to be thankful and praying for other believers as well. And then we will know how to deal with conflicts in their life. So praying and caring about their spiritual growth is what we're called to do. And that's where we see Paul not only dealing with um, Philemon on a personal level, but dealing with him on the spiritual level. He is calling him to respond the way that Christ would. And the saying goes, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that is what Paul has going on here as he begins taking uh, the moment to remind him of the reputation he has within the community, within the church, and that his response to Onesimus is, should be based on that reputation and praising them for the love and faith that he's heard that they have, not just toward the Lord Jesus, but toward all the saints. And then his letter points out that this very one returning to him is now a saint. He is no longer just a slave. He is your brother in Christ. And one of the first lessons from this letter that we can learn is God can change anyone. God can change anyone. And too often as saints, we look at others as we have known in the, them in the past, and we want to keep those labels of who they were on them, and we don't allow room. Yes, Genevieve. Right. Right. 
was the one who was afraid of bringing my dead boy into Christ. Because I didn't know what's the father, what's the father. Yes, Ananias, when, when God sent Ananias to him to open his eyes and to tell him, he, he didn't want to go because Paul was the one that was killing the Christians. They were all fearful of him. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh-huh. To the other apostles, right. Yes. Yeah, very true. He was not welcome at first. So Paul very well understood what that would be like. But God is in the business of changing. I mean, the very first thing he does is change us. He makes us a new creature. And so we don't want to hold them to their old ways. They may have been a gossip. We need to allow them to stop gossiping and expect God to change them and encourage them in that process, um, in whatever that is. It, they may be very boastful and arrogant. We need to allow God to change that and make them humble. And, sub and submit submissive to him. We need to allow God to change not only others, but us. And every believer has the same spirit working within them, the same blood paid for all of our sins. So there is no difference between us. We just need to not put them in a box because that puts God in a box. And God wants to change their life just as he did to us. As the body of Christ, we're to help that process along. And as we submit in humility, remembering from whence we came, uh, we too walked in darkness, right? So we have to be careful not to be high and mighty. And when it comes to other sinners, we need to accept that the same grace that we received, they're receiving, and we need to treat them in that grace. He changed us from the inside out, and he's changing them too may not be on the same time frame we would like, may not be the same way we would do it, but God is working in each one of their lives to change them from the inside out. And we need to allow God to do that in someone else's life. And in fact, we should expect him. If we responded to those people expecting God to change them rather than, well, they've always been this way, perhaps our responses to them and our reactions to them would be, such that it would help encourage the change, not stifle the change. I think as Christians, it's very easy, especially for us who have been in the church a long time, to think things are supposed to be a certain way, and they better be a certain way. But we don't want to limit God that way. God is working in each believer's life. And we need to allow that. We need to expect that change to come in them because Christ can change anyone. And Paul, as you said, was a prime example of that. Paul points out in verse 6 that he's praying that the fellowship of their faith may become effective. And remember fellowship, it's often referred to as two fellows in a ship. <laughs> um, we can't be in fellowship with the Spirit of God without being in tandem with him. Jesus refers to it as taking up his yoke. And I don't know if you've ever seen a yoke in action, but it's a big structure that one animal is put on one side and one animal is put on the other, but they work together 
And if they're working together, they get the fields plowed, they get the job done. If they're not working together, you're not getting anything done. Nothing is being accomplished. And so there's no room for two leaders in a single yoke. We have to be walking together to accomplish the job. And that thought extends to the body of Christ working together as well. Each of us have been given those spiritual provisions gifted to us to work together as a whole to bring unity within the body of Christ until we all attain the spiritual maturity that we are to be uh, aiming toward, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're to work together to become like Christ. Where I lack, someone else has to come alongside and fill those, those lackings. Where you lack, I'm hoping to come alongside and fill those lackings so that we're all growing up in Christ. And Paul says in verse 6, the fellowship of their faith will be effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Because it's not about us, it's about Christ and what our life means to him. Knowing what we've been saved from and what it took to save us, shouldn't we be thrilled when another comes to him and they've been through that same process, they've been saved, they've been changed, they've been made new. That knowledge we have of what we once were and what we are now should make a tremendous difference in the way that we grace others. He's been giving, he's given us his grace and we are to grace others. Paul, still priming the pump maybe, reminding them in verse seven, for I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And there's that term of endearment, that, that intimate um, acquaintance they have that they are both brothers in Christ. And he's refreshed that he um, has joy and comfort because others are being refreshed through Philemon. And it doesn't matter what our um, earthly parents were. In Christ Jesus, we're all born into that family of God. Look at verse 8 and 9. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not only going to remind Philemon of the authority that he has, that he could wield over him as the apostle Paul, but he reminds him of his love for him. And to top it off, just in case he hasn't yet appealed to his better self, Paul throws in the fact that he's an old man. He's getting up there in years, and I'm in prison, Paul says. I am a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. So he's reminded Philemon of his reputation of the work that he is having in Christ on his behalf and his love for the Lord. He's reminded Philemon of his love for the saints. And then Paul gets to the heart of the matter in verse 10. Now for us, remember, we've read the, this before. We know what the letter's about. We know who he, why he's sending this letter. But Philemon is reading this for the first time. And you can just imagine 
what his response would be when he's reading this. We already know what's coming, but he doesn't. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who was formerly useless to you. So can't you see the wheels turning in Philemon's brain? <laughs> Wait, what? You want what? Um, Paul has begotten Onesimus in prison? This is the slave that ran away from me has become a saint? Um, I'm sure it was all very, very confusing to him. But if Philemon was walking with the Lord, his response would be appropriate and would be what we would expect. But he's thinking that, you know, maybe he's thinking the one that ran away from me and left his position with me, that useless slave, you're now telling me is useful? And that he became a saint in prison? So that must have been quite a shock to Philemon to read. And knowing that he was once useless to Philemon, to hear him being useful now was something different. He had run off, having possibly robbed him to do so. Paul makes reference to it uh, later in the letter. If he owes you anything, just charge it to my account. But he says now in verse 11, now he is useful to both you and to me. So at this point in the letter, Philemon has two responses that he could make. He could let his past betrayal by Onesimus shut down his openness to accepting him and of listening what Paul is saying, or he could actually respond as the person Paul has previously described in this letter, one who is refreshing to others and loves others and cares for the saints. And he can decide which way he's gonna go. For any one of us, when someone has hurt us or betrayed us, we also have choices to make. And in this case, it seems Philemon was not had not maintained the status of a victim, but rather was, had shown himself in the Christian community as a victor. He wasn't taken advantage of. He was a victor in this, and he was no longer a victim. Likewise for us, because of Christ Jesus, we are not a victim. It doesn't matter what happens to us. We are not a victim. We have been made victorious in Christ. And in him, we are fully capable of overcoming any defeat, any betrayal, any circumstance, especially when we truly believe his word, that all things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that his grace is sufficient for every need. His word in our toolbox helps us to respond to these people who have before hurt us or betrayed us and help us to respond in a godly fashion. In him, we are fully capable of overcoming anything. And with his armor on, there is never a battle that we have to lose. We are not victims. We are victors. Praise God. And he can make beauty from ashes and change our whole life into something better because we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. So reading on in verses 12 to 14, 
I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my heart, whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Paul's saying, I wanted to keep him here, and I could have just kept him here as someone who was working on your behalf. I could have just thought, oh, he's just, you know, he's Philemon's slave, so he's just working for me now, but he still belongs to Philemon, but he's working for me. He could have done that, but he didn't feel right about that. So he wanted to send him back to Philemon so that it wasn't from his own compulsion, but out of compulsion, you know, what's Philemon going to do? Oh, well, yeah, I see he's, you've got my slave, <laughs> and I owe you, so go ahead and keep him. He didn't do that. He wanted him to, it to be of his own free will. But parting with Onesimus was really difficult for Paul. The old man had grown very fond of that young Onesimus. And he had been a bolster to Paul and a help to him while Paul was in prison. And he couldn't in good conscience keep him from Philemon, knowing that Onesimus had wronged Philemon, and he needed to go back and pay the consequences for that. That all needed to get squared away. Not only for Onesimus' uh, repentant state, for that to be finalized, but also for Philemon to deal with those issues as well. So that reconciliation had to happen for them. Um, and so that's why he sends him back. But he says, it's like sending my very heart. It's like sending my own heart to you. He cared deeply for him. Then Paul brings up the most incredible point. Look at verse 15 with me. This is where we find out that God is at work even when we don't know how he's at work. He says, perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. Perhaps Onesimus ran away and God used that time to bring him to Christ through Paul. And maybe that's why Onesimus and I ran into each other in prison. Maybe that's why Onesimus ran away and God brought him to me so that you could have him not just for a little while, but forever. Because now he is a saint. And perhaps God uses those most horrendous moments in all of our lives to accomplish something bigger than what we can see. Maybe to bring salvation to someone. Maybe, it, the, maybe whatever is happening in, in our life is not even about us. Maybe it's to bring someone else to Christ. That's where trusting and faith in God, being in control matters the most. Because we have to trust him regardless of what we see and experience. Maybe he's using it to mature us in our faith. He certainly had to do that in Philemon's life, right? Philemon had lost a slave, um, and he had to deal with that in a Christ-like attitude. So maybe it was just to grow Philemon in his own spiritual walk. But one never knows what the bigger picture might be. 
But we can know that God is working on all sides, prodding, poking. <laughs> He's moving things into position for his glory and for our growth. And in this case, so that Philemon might have Onesimus back forever. But this time, it's in a different way. So what we see happening here in the book of Philemon is a social change. Jesus didn't come to just change individuals, but he changed social things going on as well. No longer was he just a slave, it says, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to Paul. But how much more to Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord? He's saying, you've got him there with you, not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So their whole relationship, that whole dynamic was going to change. It was no longer just a slave. He was more than a slave, a beloved brother. And Anisimus coming back to him, he was coming back as a new man. He was coming back as one not rebelling and running away. He was coming back as one repentant and humble and ready to serve. Now, I'm probably a little more cynical than most. And I would have been told in the past that the first syllable of cynical sounds a lot like sin. <laughs> but if I've been betrayed by somebody, um, I might be a little cautious about welcoming them back into my household. But Paul is so convinced and is so convincing in the change of Onesimus that Philemon doesn't have that problem. And he makes this bold statement. He says in verse 17, If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. So he's telling him to accept Onesimus, his slave, as if it is Paul himself. And then even bolder, in verse 18, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And to add weight to that statement, he says in verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. It's like having it notarized, you know. Now we have to have something notarized because just our own hand isn't good enough. They have to verify we are who we are. But for Paul to write a letter in his own hand, that was something personal, and it meant something. So he says, I am writing this with my own hand. I am signing my name to, that's a lot of rain out there, um, to this note that says, if he owes you, charge it to me. I'll pay it. So not, And then he tacks on that little parenthetical statement. Not to mention, but I'm going to mention it, that you owe me even your own self as well. Because Paul had led Philemon to the Lord and had discipled Philemon just as he is discipling him even in this letter. Verse 20, he says, Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. He says, come on, for me, 
accept Onesimus back with forgiveness and with grace for me. Because you were extended grace and you were extended forgiveness in Christ. Paul admires Philemon. We've seen it in all of these verses we've covered that he has a reputation of love and faith, which he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And now Onesimus is one of those saints in your household. So let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. There's something that is exciting about seeing another believer obeying God. And we don't often have altar calls or we don't often have, um, you know, in the States, in the old days, we had revivals where you would set up a big tent and people would come from all over the town and you'd have a pastor or an evangelist come and share the gospel and you'd see I remember going to a Billy Graham crusade when I was nine years old and seeing the flood of people coming out of the stands to go down to the field where he was. It's just amazing to see God work in such a massive thing, but it's so wonderful to see him work one-on-one -on -one with believers. When you see healing come, perhaps in a marriage that was on the brink of divorce, or um, I, I had a godly woman that was um, a friend at our church and she had been divorced from her husband for 13 years and they remarried and they were together until he passed away and then she passed away but to see that reconciliation that's what God is in the business of doing and he has called us to be reconcilers as well Paul and Philemon were close because of their relationship in Christ, and he knows him. And what we can glean from that point is that it's not our job to sort out everybody's issues with the world, um, especially with those that we don't have a relationship with. Paul knew Philemon. He knew the situation. He had probably been told from Philemon, Philemon's side of the story, that oh, yeah, one of my slaves took my money and ran off. And then he heard Onesimus' side of the story, and then he played the position of reconciler because God put him in that place of reconciliation. Too often we want to hear one side of a story and rush in, we'll fix this. <laughs> I've been guilty of it. You know, I, I'm going to fix this. And I don't wait for God to deal with the people individually before you bring them back together. God dealt with Onesimus. God dealt with Philemon. And then he had Paul reunite them and reconcile them. So we have to wait on God. When God gives us words to speak, they're in love. They're not harsh. They are from a position of grace and love. And we are to speak his words, his words, not ours, in love. Whether those be words of correction, exhortation, encouragement, they have to be done in love and they have to come from him. The crux of it is we have to know the people involved and the stories. 
We can't just play God in their life from based on what we see. You know, too often for me, coming from a position of a lot of times self-righteousness, I'll see a situation and I want to speak up into that situation, whether it's parenting that isn't quite going the way it should be going, <laughs> or it's uh, someone misbehaving, um, someone throwing trash out of their car. I mean, I can get pretty riled up over those kinds of things, <laughs> but I have to wait on God because God has to deal with the situation first. And so I need to let him work in my heart before I can let him use me to work in someone else's heart. And that's what we're called to do. If we're going to reconcile, it has to be because he's called us and he has put us in that position. Paul was in the position for both Onesimus and Philemon to bring them excuse me, back together. Between two men, Jesus Christ and Paul, they brought back together Onesimus and Philemon so that they could be together. And they did so by reminding them of godly principles that they were to have toward one another. Having confidence that Philemon would obey those and follow them. And most likely, Onesimus had been with Paul long enough that Paul had discipled him. And he knew the responses that he was supposed to have at the same time. So confident in the obedience of these other two men, Paul finishes up his personal letter by saying, at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Now, whether he thought it might be a good idea to follow up on these two guys, <laughs> just checking in to see if you're still obeying, or whether or not he just knew he was going to miss them both so much that he really had a desire to see them. We don't know. But I think it was probably a little bit of both. The discipler in Paul would want him to follow up with them and to check on them. And the discipler in each of us should be that way too. When we bring someone to the Lord, we don't just get them saved and then send them out the door. We are to disciple them. We are to, as we are going, make disciples. And that takes investing in them and working with them and helping them in changing. That requires a softness to God on our part, and it requires a softness to what's going on in those other people's lives, hearts as well. As far as we know, Paul never made it to Colossae. Um, he's not al alone there. He was a prisoner of Christ and uh, the Roman government, but he was there with some others that were working with him. And his, he ends his letters with greetings from those fellow prisoners and fellow workers. He says in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark. This is the same Mark, by the way, that caused conflict earlier in Paul's ministry that he and Barnabas got in a fight over and reconciliation happened and Mark became useful to Paul once again. And he says, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, 
Mark had returned to be a fellow worker with Paul. And in verse 25, that's the icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. For what in, a, in what other way could we accomplish anything but the grace of God? It's the grace of Christ Jesus within our spirit that allows us to be a reconciler, to be a discipler, to be a victor rather than a victim, to speak godly principles into others' lives. And like Philemon, we will have choices throughout life. How will we deal with them? I pray it will be the same as we see these men walking in obedience in the fullness of God's grace, because his grace is amazing indeed. Those social changes, changes that I was referring to in the book, or in this one chapter letter, um, we find that there are no classes of people. There are no political hierarchies in the body of Christ. We are all one in him. Turn with me to Galatians 3.28. I don't have it on your outline, but just turn with me real quick there. Galatians 3.28. 28. I want to back up to verse 27. For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. And then flip over a few books to Colossians chapter 3. And look at verse, um, let's start with verse 10. And I've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all in all. That list of people there that we have, Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, some of those people were very barbaric. All of those people at one point were walking in darkness, just as we were. But in Christ, we are all one. And in him, he is our all and all. We all have to come to him the same way. In humility, repentant, by faith. And when we do, then we are all born into the family of God. We are all brothers and sisters in him. And Philemon and Onesimus reconciled because of Christ. 
and because of Paul working in each of their lives. You know, I really hope that we don't just look at the story of them and walk away thinking that was a nice story about some men. But I hope that each one of us, and I'm including myself in this, that we would walk away and go, Lord, how do you want me to be a Philemon in this story? How do you want me to be on an isthmus in this story? Or how do you want me to be Paul in this story? There are situations that all of us deal with on a daily basis, and each of them are very different for each of us. But each one of us have the same spirit working within us to bring reconciliation to others. And I pray that that would be our goal, to work together in the body of Christ, to mature one another up into our head, which is Christ, and that we would become the ladies that he wants us to be, working on his behalf from a humble heart, full of obedience, full of grace. Are there any questions or comments about the lesson today? Yes. Philemon was his owner, and Onesimus was his slave, and he stole from him and ran off. Now, if he ended up in Rome, where they're assuming that this was originally written from, that's about a thousand mile distance that he traveled to get there. He had to have some sort of funds to get there. As a slave, he would have been marked. They would have known he was a fugitive, and it would have been very dangerous for him to travel um, without his owner. So he must have done something deceptive or something that he must have stole or something to get to where he was going. So that was um, two forms of betrayal then, right? So he left his owner. And then he probably stole from his him as well. Oh, when this was going on, was We're not sure when he became a believer. We know that it was before Paul met Onesimus. Um, he had brought Philemon to the Lord at some point in time, and then Onesimus he met him later in prison. Good questions. Anything else? All right, well, then we'll close with prayer. Okay, let me go through the uh, lesson guide real quick. So you got the major players, Paul, the apostle, who was a, he didn't call himself as apostle, he was the um, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Philemon was the owner who was also a beloved brother, so he was a believer, who had, we saw in, I think, verse 19, had come to the Lord because of Paul. Um, Paul says, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well, because he had shared the gospel with Philemon. Aphael was his wife, 
possibly Philemon's wife, but she was definitely in the household um, of Philemon. And also a believer, because she's called a sister. Um, Archippus was a fellow soldier, also a believer. Onesimus was the slave who ran away, who repented, and was sent back. Now, number one, we saw that Christ can change anyone. Number two, we're in this together. Number three, we are not a victim. We are a victor. And number four, speak into someone's life godly principles. All right, let's close with prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, too, for your spirit that convicts us of your word when we are out of fellowship with you and we are um, in a situation, Lord, may we instantly turn to you and ask for your guidance and your help in it. Help us to not overstep, but help us to be available and always willing and ready to be the reconciler or the discipler or just your humble servant in whatever way you would have us to be. I praise you, God, that we are victors in Christ Jesus and that we do not have to be um, just a slave, but we are a beloved brother in Christ. And we thank you for all that you have done through your grace and your mercy toward us. I pray for each of us that we would walk worthy of that and that the new creature creature that you have made us, that new creation that you've put in us, that we would live that out so that others would be refreshed, just as those around Philemon were refreshed by his love and his faith. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.